If you need a Bible, if you will just uh, open up, uh, raise your hand, uh, Pastor Jim or one of the guys will make sure you have a Bible so you can read along with us. But we want to um, start in Mark chapter 10 and see how far the Lord gets us this morning. Mark's Gospel chapter 10. And as we begin to look at Mark chapter 10, we see that Jesus is going to be leaving that area of Galilee, the northern part of the country. And he's leaving Galilee actually for the last time. He's headed towards Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. He's been telling his disciples that when we get to Jerusalem, know this, that I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the elders. I'm going to be uh, rejected by the people and then eventually put to death. But after three days, I'm going to rise again. And we have seen that the disciples hearing Jesus say that, they didn't fully understand. They're confused. It was a mystery to them. And as we continue through Mark's narrative, what we will see very clearly is they're going to be confused clear up until the time that Jesus is arrested in the garden. Matter of fact, it's, they're not going to have clear understanding of all what took place till after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here is Jesus. He is clear in his mind. I'm going to set my face to go to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. He knew that's why he was born. So that the hour would come, and he knew the hour was coming where he's going to go to that cross to die for you and for me. And so he leaves that area of Galilee. And so let's begin to read Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, as verse 1. Then he rose from there and came into the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan, and multitudes gathered to him again. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. And so let's pray before we continue on. Father, right now as we just settle in and just hearing your word, that we're going to talk about a very, very important subject. And that is concerning marriage and divorce and remarriage, about raising our children in your ways. So Lord, I pray that at this time that we would be still and quiet before you, receive instructions from you, and Lord, that you would just bless this time. And Lord, that we would have soft hearts. Father, how we need to hear from you this morning. And it's a very critical issue. We want to hear what you have to say. and Put aside all the preconceived ideas and philosophies of others. And just simply go back to the word of God. And to receive it. And Lord, then as we receive instruction, that Lord, that you would just enable us to be the husbands and wives that you called us to be, to be content in the state that we're in, the Lord to have wisdom in raising our children as we bring them to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Jesus is on the far side of the Jordan River. That is, he's in that area of what today we call Jordan. He's in the area that was occupied by the Ammonites. And as the multitudes gathered to him, he began to teach them as it was his custom. And we've seen so far going through Mark's narrative that it was the multitudes, whenever they gathered around Jesus, he would bring healing to them. He would begin to touch them. He would teach them about the love of the Father and the things of the kingdom. And what I hope and pray for, for you individually and for us as a church here at Calvary Chapel, that we would never, never tire of studying the scriptures. It's the bread which sustains us. And so it's important that we would continue to study the word of God and receive instructions and that we would be blessed and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so here is Jesus teaching the multitudes when verse 2, the Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? 
testing him. So here is Jesus teaching the multitude of people that had gathered to him. And the Pharisees showed up like they usually would. And Mark is careful to now point out the motive which they would ask this question concerning divorce. And it says in the text that they came to test him. And the Greek word here that is given suggests that what these religious leaders are doing is they're taking jabs at Jesus they verbally. They, they were only interested in disputing with Jesus, arguing with him, trying to stir up trouble. And what we're going to see from this point until the time that he's going to withdraw himself from the religious leaders right before he goes to the cross, that these uh, sects of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, as well as the Sadducees and the Herodians and the scribes, all of them are going to come to Jesus and they're going to ask him questions, but they're going to do this in testing him. That is, they want to try to dispute with him. They want to argue with him. They want to try to back Jesus up into a corner to, so that they m might have some, some reason to accuse him, try to get the people to turn against him. And that's always the pharisaical mentality. This week, especially during Easter week, you will have people that are hostile to Jesus and to Christianity, and they will come to you and to me, and they begin to want to argue. They begin to want to probe and back you up into a corner. And Well, what about the resurrection? Are you sure it's true? And did Jesus really have to die for us? And they want to stir up trouble. And we need to be wise, and we need to do what Jesus does, and that is take him to the word of God. We need to be ready to give a defense. And so this is what the Pharisees are doing, and their criticism and their opposition against Jesus is going to grow, and they are determined to put him to death. And so they're going to be asking him some very select controversial questions, one which would bound to, to draw considerable interest on part of the people and here we see such a thing this is a question regarding marriage and divorce a very important subject in jesus day certainly it's an important subject in our day but they came testing him they asked is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife in verse 3 and he answered and said to them what did moses command you now in the law when you go back to the book of deuteronomy chapter 24 God did say through Moses that if a man married a woman and found some uncleanness in her, he should give her a writing of a bill of divorce. So in Jesus' day, divorce had become a, very much of a controversial topic, just as it is today. And one of the reasons that it, become, it had become a very confusing and controversial subject is because there were two main schools of thoughts that centered around the teaching of two great rabbis that were in Jesus' day. One of those rabbis, his name was Hillel, and he had a more liberal view of Deuteronomy chapter 24, what constituted uncleanness. And what he was teaching, as he would give his interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24, it was this, that, that a man could put away his wife for the reason of uncleanness and what constituted uncleanness, hell, hell went on to teach, was a number of things. Anything just about that a husband would consider his wife to, to be unclean, it could be, for example, that when you got up, a husband got up in the morning and your wife burnt the toast. And all of a sudden you got upset, you got mad because she burnt the toast and so she caused you to sin because you got angry. 
And so that could constitute uncleanness. This was one of the reasons that he was explaining that you could write then a certificate of divorce. So if you saw that your wife was causing you to sin or she was unclean in some way that you considered, even if you saw another woman that was more clean than your woman, than your wife, then she's unclean. And so you are to divorce her and go ahead and marry somebody else. So that's what the thought was going on with this one rabbi, Hillel. He had the more liberal view and having great influence in Israel, he held the more popular view, sad to say. He had a great following from those looking to get out of their marriages. Pretty much it's the same way today, isn't it? The very popular views today, people are listening and embracing those who will tell you that you should divorce for various reasons. There are even those who are setting up Christian counseling practices. And I get letters all the time, almost every month, of a new counselor that has come into town. And if you need to send your people for marriage counseling, send them to us and, and we'll counsel them. But I've had people sit in my office who have said, we've gone from counselor to counselor, and they're telling us that we should divorce because we're not compatible. We should divorce because we seem like we can't get along. We should divorce because there's somebody else that's in our lives, and we want to be happy. So they're saying you should divorce and go ahead and marry somebody else. All kinds of reasons that are being given to validate and, and to be one that you issue a certificate of divorce, it's okay to do this for various reasons. So that was going on in Jesus' day with this one rabbi, Hillel. Then there was the conservative school, Shimei. He was another famous rabbi that others were listening to, and he taught that divorce was to be strictly limited under the strict rules of uncleanness, and that was because of adultery or some kind of sexual immorality that only under certain rigid defined conditions could divorce ever be granted. So the nation was split between these two schools of thoughts, and so the Pharisees asked Jesus about the issue of divorce, and Jesus takes them back to Moses, to the law, and then we're going to see that he's going to go back even further to the time of creation in Genesis. So the Pharisees wanted to talk about divorce. Jesus is talking about marriage, the first marriage between Adam and Eve, as we read in verse 4, is the Pharisees, respond to his question that, that we read in the previous verse. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so then they are no longer two, but one flesh. And verse 9, Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. So Jesus, in this answering, the Pharisees, sends them back to Moses. He upholds the authority of Scripture. And of course, Jesus often did this, didn't he? When he was answering the religious leaders, when they came and asked questions, when they tried to back them into a corner, and that's what you do as well. It's so important that you and I, that we say to people, it is written, this is what God's word has to say. 
And Jesus wasn't interested in discussing the philosophies of the day and the opinions and the interpretations of the rabbis. Jesus took them back to Scripture for the answer. And Jesus goes on to clarify the law, and that's what he's doing on this occasion. He says in verse 5 that because of the hardness of your heart, Moses wrote this precept. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce, but please understand that is why divorce was given in the book of Deuteronomy, the Old Testament economy, because of the hardness of men's heart. Listen carefully, because this oftentimes can be misquoted, misused, or misinterpreted. Jesus did not say this is a reason for divorce. A hardness of heart, well, my heart is hard. My heart is hard and I'm just going to divorce. I'm going to separate. He's not saying this is the reason for divorce. Rather, he is not saying this is the reason to divorce. But rather, he's saying this. It's a revelation about divorce. In other words, divorce comes about because of the hardness of heart. No one has the right, I believe, to say, well, my heart is just hard and so that's a reason to divorce. Or you know, her heart is hardened, so we have to separate. Jesus is not saying, here is the reason to divorce. He is giving a revelation about divorce because he shows us very clearly divorce was never God's heart or God's intention. But because people had become so hardened in their hearts, the law allowed this precept of divorce to take place. Now we need to ask ourselves, what is a hardened heart? Well, we know that a hardened heart is the opposite of a soft heart. And oftentimes, before we pray for our Bible studies, we will pray, won't we? Lord, soften our hearts, our hearts being soft before you, that we may be open to you and receive from you, that, that we may have a desire to be obedient to what it is that you're telling us. So a hardened heart is the opposite of that. We know that throughout the Scripture that it warns against over and over again about hardening our hearts. We know the Old Testament story of Moses going to Pharaoh, and Moses said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, let my people go. And when Pharaoh heard that message from God, it says there in Exodus that he hardened his heart. That is, he was determined to handle things in his own way. He had determined to respond to his natural inclination of the flesh, to do what he felt like doing in the situation. I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to handle this myself, and I'm going to ignore what God has to say. That is the hardening of the heart. When you are determined that you are going to handle something yourself and not pay attention or receive from the Lord or His Word and what He is revealing to you, that's what the hardening of the heart is. That was going on in Moses' day. That was going on in Jesus' day in Israel, and it certainly goes on in our day in our society, even in the church today. And as I, I have looked at the statistics for the last decade that have come out for those who, who come with different statistics, it is showing us that the divorce rate in the church is just as high as those who are unchurched, those out in the world. And the reason is because we're seeing a lot of hard hearts today and hearts that are ignoring what God's Word has to say concerning marriage, concerning what it means to come together and be one, to, to come together and to work out those problems. 
that arise in every marriage, the difficulties which arise. And the reason I'm spending some time on this is that we need to take our marriage vows very, very seriously. And perhaps there may be a couple or, or two that you're here this morning and you know that there needs to be a softening of hearts and there needs to be some changes in your marriage and in your heart or your marriage isn't going to last to the end of the year. And what my prayer is that you would soften your heart before the Lord. And that your hearts would recognize your inability to handle a situation and relies on the wisdom and the power of God. Submit it to the Lord, recognizing that, Lord, I don't have what it takes. That couples would come together and say, we don't have what it takes. And Lord, we need your wisdom and love. And we need you working in our lives and in our marriages to help us be obedient to you, Lord. And as you are doing that day after day, and as you are being honest with each other and coming together in prayer and seeking the Lord, that's when your heart will begin to soften and your heart will be more tender. So in Jesus' day, in Moses' day, this is what should have been happening in these marriages, but instead divorce was getting worse and worse because people were embracing, well, we got a problem, we're just going to go ahead and divorce. Or I don't like my wife today, so I'm going to grant her a certificate of divorce. And so people were embracing that to get out of their marriages. And Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce because of hardness of hearts. And then Jesus talks and reveals to us the purpose of marriage as we read in verses 6 through 9. As we saw that Jesus goes beyond the, the Pharisees, uh, beyond Moses, beyond the law, beyond the whole Hebrew economy, and he takes them back to the dawn of creation, to the very beginning of the human race, and Jesus quotes from Genesis in chapter 2, God made them male and female, and for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two are no longer two, but they become one flesh. They're one flesh. You leave father and mother. Sometimes, particularly younger couples, they will have difficulties in their marriage. Because they don't understand that in the definition of marriage, there is a leaving mom and dad. There is a leaving a dependence on mom and dad. And there have been couples that, that I've talked to that they come in and they're young and, and they're having problems because mom and dad are making decisions. All their decisions for them, there's a total dependency upon them. And we just kind of been hanging out at mom and dad's house and we haven't been able to really find a job where you're really looking well, sort of, but I don't want to go and work at Home Depot. So we're just hanging out downstairs and laying on the couch and staying in our pajamas till noon. If you want to stay in your pajamas till noon, that's your business. If you have your own home and you're paying your bills. But there is a leaving father and mother and a cleaving to your wife. And for some of the younger, newer couples, make sure, yes, you respect your parents, you honor your parents, you love your parents, you be close to your parents. I know for my kids, and particularly my two older ones, as they're getting older, we talk to them about these things. They're still years away from, from marriage, but as they're getting teenagers and becoming young adults, they're understanding that, that you need to grow up and learn responsibility and learn work. And when you get married, there is a leaving and then there is a cleaving. And if you don't do it, you're going to have problems. 
And if you keep running to mom and dad for everything, and understand my heart on this, because my kids know that mom and dad will always be there for them. And they will be there to give counsel. We will be there for our kids when they get married, if they get married, to, to help them in ways that we can. If they find themselves in a difficult situation, of course we're going to be there. But we also know that there needs to be a leaving. Sometimes I tease my kids. I, I tell them that when you guys get on your own, mom and dad, we're going to change the locks. Do you know that? <laughs> Parents, seriously, we love our kids, don't we? And we want to help them in any way that we can and be there for them. And you kids, you honor mom and you love mom and dad and you respect them. But here's the thing, that if you are a man here and you're married or you're contemplating getting married, you have responsibilities to provide for your family and for your wife. And dads particularly, but moms you as well. You talk to your sons about being men. I think one of the problems that we see, and this is just my opinion, is the Peter Pan syndrome. Don't want to grow up. And boys that just don't want to take on the responsibility that has been given to them, ordained by God, that they are to lead in the marriage, that they are to lead their families, they are to provide for their families. And yes, parents will be there to help in those difficult times, but that you are to take on those responsibilities. Dads, talk to your sons about that. Teach them to work. Teach them about responsibility. Teach them about respect to women. And that begins when they're young. You first begin to show respect to your mother, and then you start showing respect to your sisters. And you value them, and you protect them, and you treat them with honor and respect. And then that's going to carry on to other relationships. But if they don't learn those things, they're going to have a difficult time. So it's important that they understand there is a leaving and there is a cleaving that takes place. It's God-ordained. And in the marriage ceremony, when a man and woman become one flesh, everything that, that you do, couples, everything that you say, every decision that you make affects the other one so dramatically because of that one flesh relationship. And that is why divorce is so painful. And I know that some of you have been through that pain, and I'm so sorry. Because all of a sudden, that one flesh is being ripped apart. So in the marriage ceremony, when two people stand before God and witnesses and promise to love each other till death to us part, two people who are distinct and different, different personalities, different gifts, blending their lives together, two people becoming one. They're not just living together as roommates. Marriage is not going your separate ways and having separate lives. It's not just merely sharing a house and a bed together. You're not to split up over every problem or difficulty that arises but you work them out. You choose to be together. You choose to love each other, to spend your lives together. You're not rivals. And a successful marriage is not without problems, but it is one where the problems are being worked out and given over to the Lord. It's where the couple faces up to the problems and they discover where the hardness of heart is and learn how God can soften your hearts as you go to Him. It's a lifelong commitment Listen, you don't say your vows until you can live your vows. 
And that's what I tell every couple that comes to me. You don't say your vows until you can live your vows, until you are completely surrendered to the Lord, until you take this very seriously, what God has ordained, what you're about ready to do. Don't say your vows until you're ready to live your vows. Because what God has joined together, let no man separate. Let no one separate that. Bring about the vision. And it continues this discussion in verse 10. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same manner. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And as we have discussed, in the Jewish view of, of marriage was the, a reflected as reflected by the law, was that the initiative was always with the husband. It was only the husband who could divorce his wife. But in our Lord's words here, it's interesting that the husband and the wife were put on equal basis here. The man can commit adultery against the wife, and the woman can commit adultery against the husband. Now, in Matthew's account, it's recorded for us that Jesus said, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, Jesus, in saying that, is not mandating divorce in the event of adultery. It is allowed. But Jesus is not saying that there must be divorce if there is infidelity. But in allowing divorce, he acknowledges that it is possible for a relationship to be dealt a death blow, a blow by infidelity. You can look at Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, for you note-takers, where God would say to Israel, I'm giving you a certificate of divorce because of your spiritual adultery. You refuse to turn to me and to repent. But let me also say this. There have been couples that I have talked to where there was infidelity and they chose to work it out, to forgive and to have the Lord do a supernatural work of healing and restoring their marriage. And those couples have healthy and strong marriages, and it's a wonderful testimony to others of the power and the glory and the grace of God's work in a couple, the forgiveness that is there, where initially there was no hope, seemingly, but they turned to the Lord, they repented, and there was a surrender to the Lord, and they allowed the Lord to work in their marriage, and the Lord worked a miracle, and He can work a miracle. And he created a marriage, once again, a beauty. And a marriage that honors him. But, perhaps you were in a marriage where you desired was to please God. But you were faced with an intolerable situation where you were left and you were abandoned. So in dealing with this subject, I, I want to be careful not to create any kind of condemnation for those who have had the bitter experience of being married and then being abandoned where there was infidelity and there was no repentance. And for anyone who has gone through a divorce, I don't want to impose a sense of condemnation on anyone. Adultery is not an unforgivable sin. Divorce is not an unforgivable sin. But Jesus says, listen, the idea is this, that the two shall become one flesh. Let no one separate what God has joined together. And if you violate that model, if you are putting away your wife, if you are putting away your husband, and if you're going for that divorce, and you are causing an adulterous situation. Jesus put a period at the end of this statement. 
When that party is married to another and joined with another, there is now an adulterous situation. And I want us to note, though, that Jesus did not say that that person will be living in adultery. But he does say that there is an act of adultery. There is a committing of adultery that is there. In other words, I believe what our Lord is simply saying is there is a missing of God's heart. There is a failed marriage that has happened, and that was not my intention. But there is forgiveness, and there is grace, and the Lord's mercy endures forever. And I believe that there can be indeed a second opportunity. So I want us to have a, a balance, you know, look at Scripture in this very serious manner that we're talking about we do not take marriage lightly god says that he hates divorce not the person who has been divorced no he loves that person but he hates divorce because of what it does the hurt and destruction and the pain that it causes he says marriage is a holy institution and he loves that institution and our marriage to each other as christians is to be a picture of our relationship with Christ, our bridegroom. And that's God's intention. So we are to take our marriages seriously, not to take it lightly. We are to stay with our spouse till death do us part. And that's why before I marry anyone, I required that they go through premarital counseling. And to tell you the truth, I've been a little bit more intense in my premarital counseling because I have seen what divorce has done and the hurt and the pain that it causes. And I want to make sure that couples understand before they enter into marriage <coughs> what marriage, the definition is, what responsibilities are as husbands and wives, what God has to say about love, what love really is, what he has to say about forgiveness and communication, what he has to say about the atmosphere of the home, what he has to say about raising children. That's what we need to look at. For you married couples that are here today, I would urge you, don't use divorce as an option. Don't even say divorce to each other. If you go home and you get in an argument, whenever that may happen, and you say, I'm going to divorce you, and you keep doing that, Satan's going to take that and blow the doors wide open on it. You make a commitment. Married couples that are here, you say divorce is not going to be a word that we're going to utter. It's not an option for us. Husbands, your responsibility is you love your wives as Christ loved the church. And we've talked about what that means. We've seen Jesus, how much he loves us, being demonstrated as he is going to Calvary's cross to lay down his life for the church, for us, for the world. That's how much he loved us. You are to lay down your life for your wife, to love her unconditionally. I read the scriptures and I see that God's love is told that it is undescribable, unmeasurable, unsearchable is his love. And I am so thankful that the Lord in my life didn't come to me and say, Jeff, you know what? I'm just kind of tired of you. And I like this person a lot better than you, so off with you. I don't love you anymore. No, I know that God's love is with me and will remain with me. And husbands, that's the way you're to love your wives. In that kind of way, willing to lay down your life for your wife, serving her. Jesus came not to be served, but be the servant of all. The emphasis is loving and cherishing and respecting her 
and serving her and honoring her and leading in a way where there is kindness and compassion and desiring to use godly wisdom. That's how you're to love your wife. Don't be bitter towards them, Colossians says. And wives, to submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. And know, couples, that God wants to bless your marriage and make your marriage more than something that you just put up with. He wants your love to grow for him and for each other. And if you're here this morning and you know that there's problems in your marriage, your marriage is in trouble perhaps, before this day is over, you both go home, you sit down, and you turn to the Lord. And you take each other by the hand and you say, you know what, we need to soften our hearts. And we need to start praying together and give these problems to the Lord. And we need to submit to Him and allow the Lord to work. And you do that, couples. And I know that there are people that are here that you're in different situations. Maybe you have a spouse that isn't a believer. You can't do that. Maybe there's a situation where maybe that, that, that one is hard and, and you just keep praying. But for you couples that are here, you get right with the Lord and you get right with each other if there are problems. And you make sure that you spend much time in prayer and seeking the Lord. And for you who are not married, listen, and then we're going to move on. You make sure that you seek the Lord when you're making a decision about getting married or perhaps contemplating it or whatever it might be. You don't just leave your decisions based upon emotions or the idea that I want to be married. Sounds like a good idea, so I'm not alone. You base it on seeking the Lord in His Word. Ladies, if you meet a guy that you're contemplating marrying, if he is not a godly man, if he's not seeking the Lord, if he isn't going to lead you spiritually, then you need to back off. Men, if you meet a woman, a young lady that you're thinking about marrying, is she a godly woman? Is she going to be one that's going to respect you? Is she going to be one that's going to submit to you as unto the Lord? That's the qualifier. For those of you who have been divorced, know this, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And God has indeed forgiven you. But if you are single, God has given us this very sobering truth to you. If any other relationship should indeed develop, it must be approached with a tremendous amount of sobriety and seriousness if a future relationship is developed. For those of you who have been married, divorced, and remarried, your marriage now brings glory and honor to God. I know many couples that they themselves one of them or both of them have been divorced and now you're remarried and you recognize what god has to say about your situation and you've said we repented long ago and we're moving forward in the lord and that's a wonderful thing and you've received forgiveness and god has forgiven you and you've put it under the blood of jesus christ you let your marriage be all that god wants you to be and for all of us May we pray for the marriages that are in this fellowship. So it's not an easy subject to talk about, but very, very necessary. So after this discussion about divorce and marriage, Jesus now talks about children, verse 13. And then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. It's interesting, in the Greek, they is in the masculine. 
Now, oftentimes when we think of this scene, it's a portion of scripture that we're familiar with that they brought the children to Jesus. And we always picture, I've even seen pictures of it in the Sunday school rooms. It's the mothers bringing the children. But here it's indicating that it was the fathers that were doing that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, fathers, you bring up your children in the training and admonition of the Lord. And I believe that Paul in the book of Ephesians is emphasizing fathers not because mothers don't have a role in that. Of course mothers do. They have a very important role in that. But as fathers, we can have a tendency to say, I'm busy. I work 12-hour days. I, I bring home the paycheck. I, I got meetings. I got things I need to do. I don't have time to do that. You better have time to do that. Because God is calling you to take the lead in training your children in the ways of the Lord. And you, fathers, have opportunity and privilege, and it is commanded by God that you take that responsibility very seriously. You bring your children to Jesus. A mom's going to play an important role in that. Certainly she is. And again, I know that we have situations where maybe you're coming and your spouse isn't a believer. And so maybe as, as a wife and as as a mother, you're the primary one that's going to be raising your children in the ways of the Lord for now. You keep praying in those situations. And also, we know that there are kids that come here that maybe they're invited, that their parents aren't Christians. And so we are the ones that are teaching them the ways of the Lord. And we're the ones that are teaching them the scriptures. But for, again, you couples that are here, fathers don't neglect that. And we talked about a couple weeks ago how Job, he was a righteous man in the Old Testament who he got up and he sacrificed a bull for each one of his kids lest they might blaspheme God unless they sinned against the Lord he knew the importance of getting up and expending the energy and taking the time to sacrifice on behalf of each one of his kids and fathers we need to do the same thing don't we we need to make sure that we're taking the time to pray for our kids to be praying with our kids to be talking to them about the things of the Lord Dads, don't neglect that. And I know we all get busy. I get busy too. But it has to be a priority in our lives. And if it isn't, if we don't take the privilege to bring our kids to Jesus, if we let go of that, then we're allowing our kids to be more vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. So make sure that's a priority in your life. And that's what they did. And the disciples, verse 13, goes on to tell us, rebuke those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. And as surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. So they're bringing the little ones to Jesus. The disciples thought for some reason that they had to protect Jesus by preventing the parents from bringing their children to him. And Jesus wasn't happy. He strongly rebukes his disciples. And I think that the disciples meant well, but they didn't realize the seriousness of, of Jesus and his heart and attitudes towards little children that we've been even talking about over the last couple of weeks. He took a little child in his midst and he said, anyone who stumbles a little one, it'd be better that a millstone be hung around their neck and they'd be sunk into the sea. Now he says, don't forbid them to come to me. But I pray is that we would never, ever, and I know that we don't, see it as a burden to bring our children to Jesus. 
Parents, I pray that you never see it as a burden to say, well, I'm going to get my family up and we're going to get our kids dressed and we're going to go and be in fellowship where they can learn of the Lord. That we're going to gather the family together and we're going to have devotions. We're going to pray together that you never see it as a burden. That we here at Calvary Chapel, that we would never ever see children's ministry as a burden but a privilege and a great opportunity to minister to these little ones that are so precious to Jesus back there in those back rooms. Will you pray for them? Will you pray for those who are ministering to them? Will you pray about the opportunity to, to be involved in ministering to children? It's such an important priority here at Calvary Chapel. A great, great privilege that we have to do what we've been asked to do in ministering to them. And then Jesus, after he talks about, as we finish up very quickly here, about receiving children, for such is the kingdom of God. He goes on in verse 15 and says, unless you become as a little child. Now Jesus is not saying that you need to be childish. You're to be childlike. Now children, they trust me. My kids, for example, they trust that I'm going to provide for them. You know, my kids, the other day one of them said, are we going to have dinner? And it's like, in all the years that you've been, since you've been born, have you ever not had dinner? <laughs> of course you're going to have dinner. You had dinner every night. They know that I'm going to clothe them and I'm going to have a house for them and we're going to provide for them and love them. Christian, do you know that about your Heavenly Father who is good? That He is so good that He's going to provide for you and he's going to bless you, and he wants what's best for you. That's childlike faith. And then for anyone who is here this morning, to come to Jesus, you come in childlike faith. That is, you humble yourself. You humble yourself, and you come in that childlike faith saying, I believe that, God, what you're saying to me is true, that you want to forgive me, that, Lord, you want to provide and you have forgiveness of sin as I come in faith. You desire to save me. You humble yourself. You see, it's pride that's going to keep us away from the Lord. will keep you away from receiving salvation. It is coming in childlike humility and faith and simplicity. Paul would say, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, how did you receive him? By faith and childlike humility. So walk in him as well. So for all of us, childlike humility and faith is very important in our lives. But for you, perhaps anyone that is here this morning, you haven't come to Jesus Christ, humble yourself and know that he's provided for you, that he loves you, and that he desires this morning. Make sure that you know that you can receive salvation and be part of the family of God as you give your heart to him. So Father, that's our prayer this morning. We, we've gone over this text so quickly, Lord, and there's so much more that we can say. But Father, I pray, first of all, if there is anyone here this morning that has not surrendered their heart to Jesus Christ, that they would do so this morning. That they would understand that the soul that sins shall surely die, the scripture says. That all of us have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. So we are in need. We are in need of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. That's why he went to Jerusalem to die for our sins. 
And I pray if there's anyone that is here, if you're out in a coffee shop, I know there's several that are out there.